time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact, Jack! Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, undoubtedly, she won't be voted Mother of the Year. She has sued in Australia $332,000 because she delivered twins instead of a single baby, even considering putting one of her children up for adoption. Well, it's a puzzling dilemma, medically, economically, and we have our own resident expert today in the business of healthcare, Dr. Bruce Freeman, joining us today to talk about how to make Americans care about healthcare costs. Is it part of the fix? How do you do that? How do you achieve making Americans care about costs when, after all, our mantra is, bill my insurance company? All that and more right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. And no, we don't have a special guest for the radio show today, but what we do have is some special news out of the Journal of the American Dietetic Association. People over the age of 50 who took dietary supplements on a regular basis were much more likely to be better nourished whether they were men or women, according to this recently published study. After all, we take a look at the Western-style diet. It's not rich in whole foods. It's not rich in local organic foods. So what they found in this study is that fewer than half of adults over the the age of 50 took supplements daily, although there have been other NIH-funded studies indicating that about 65% of Americans took supplements on a semi-regular basis. And what they found is that when it came to important nutrient levels, vitamins A, B, C, iron, folic acid, and zinc, it was those who supplemented who were much more likely to be optimally nourished than those who did not supplement. Of course, it's all part of that lifestyle that you have to make some conscious choices and follow through with some conscious actions to optimize your health care. We now recognize that sleep is as important as your diet. When it comes to your diet, even the best, say, supplement It's almost impossible to get those nutrients that you need from your diet alone. Well, this year there will be 218,000 plus new cases of prostate cancer. And if this uh, research coming out of uh, the journal Nutrition Reviews is accurate, all we need to uh, do is take a look at men's diets regarding the risk of prostate cancer. Because what these George Mason University research scientists found uh, that confirmed the earlier Dr. Dean Ornish studies, that a low-fat, plant-based diet, and when we say low-fat, we're talking about low-animal, hydrogenated, trans fats. A plant-based diet could reduce the risk of prostate cancer 
or even slow the progression of the disease, that where there has been a gradual westernization of the diet, the incidence of prostate cancer has also risen. What are the risk factors? We know that a diet high in animal protein sets the stage for more prostate cancer. A diet high in sweets and processed um, grains uh, indicates uh, the situation where you may have more prostate cancer as well, as well. So low animal fat, high plant-based diet may help keep prostate cancer at bay. Well, it was an intriguing article in the personal section of today's uh, Wall Street Journal that any number of hospitals across the country, gosh, I wish there were some in this area, are signing on to feed people in the hospital uh, locally, organically, and in a much more nutritious and appealing fashion. Apparently, uh, next week, the Battle of the Hospital Chefs, hospitalchefs.com, is being held in Chicago, uh, indicating that there are a number of hospitals who are embracing socially conscious approaches in the kitchen, serving more organic food, locally produced food, and um, heads of food and nutrition, like hospitals uh, like the Avera Heart Hospital in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, who were quoted as saying, we can't advertise we're in the business of helping keep people healthy while serving up foods deep fried and with unhealthy fats. So what do they do in South Dakota where the diet has plenty of red meat, potatoes, and fried foods? Well, they go to roasted potatoes. They substitute 50% of the ground beef in many recipes with soy. And they have developed zinc, uh, zinc, zucchini, and carrot cake made with ground flaxseed. Many more hospital foods, quote, that won't make you sick. Well, this comes from today's Journal of the American Medical Association, the apolipoprotein E genotype. Let's talk about that because we now have the ability to map the human genome. And there's any number of laboratories around the country that can tell you your genetic profile. And this apolipoprotein E phenotype has been linked to more inflammation. And, of course, inflammation is the buzz in risk factors for heart disease, cancer, diabetes, even Alzheimer's disease. Or is it? In today's Journal of the American Medical Association, they take a look at 82 studies of lipid levels. And what they basically found was that there was little correlation between the apolipoprotein E genotypes with lipid levels and thereby coronary heart risk. So everybody who's been told, myself included, that you have the uh, revealing genotype, the presenting uh, genotype of apolipoprotein E, thinking that you're at high risk uh, for inflammation and thereby heart disease. So I remain pretty focused on taking my good fats on a daily basis well, we don't exactly know that yet, and it certainly speaks to what um, was discussed yet again in the science journal of this past Friday's Wall Street Journal, that um, out of a recent study in the Journal of the American Medical Association, taking a look at 432 published medical research articles, only two of those stood up to significant scientific confirmation. 
that there have been any number of studies, including one recently in the Public Library of Science. It's that online British journal that takes no dollars of advertisement from drug companies with researchers out of Tufts University indicating that most, if not all, of the published medical research is questionable at best, unable to be replicated, Uh, Most of it, of course, in terms of the funding that colors the outcomes, questionable as well. So it presents a quandary for most of us who tend to think that science and medicine is black and white when indeed it is a whole series of shades of gray. Well, there's a big marketing push now that it's back to school time with Lunchables Jr. It's a popular snack combination from Kraft. It's now specifically uh, targeting two, three, four, five-year-olds with things like Teddy Grahams, mozzarella strips, uh, strawberry yogurt-flavored dip, uh, indicating that feeding your young children these uh, processed Lunchables Juniors is part of a nutritious approach when it comes to healthy eating for your kids. Of course, what they don't tell you is that um, they're low in fiber, high in sodium. They also include uh, high fructose corn syrup, sodium nitrate, uh, artificial flavors, refined uh, flours, partially hydrogenated fats. So you may want to look a little further in the marketing push that Lunchables Juniors target on-the-go three- to five-year-olds. Well, knowing that many of us uh, seek the aid of prescription medication when it comes to sleeping, snoring is one of those uh, aspects that's often linked to conditions like sleep apnea that puts us at higher risk of even heart disease. Now, Swedish researchers have revealed that a plastic dental splint can help keep people from snoring through the night. It avoids that cumbersome CPAP breathing mask or even surgery. Uh, We don't have to operate on all snorers is their take-home message that snoring is often harmless but can be a side of more uh, serious sleep apnea, that condition in which uh, people literally stop breathing during their sleep. So may want to take a look at what was presented this week at the American Academy of Otolaryngology as a first step with a dental splint helping to ease snoring. We're going to return to talk with Dr. Bruce Freeman. He is our resident expert in the business of health care. Fix American health care by making us care about costs. Well, how do you do that? We invite you to join us with Dr. Bruce Freeman joining us today, 1-800-307-3002. Healthy Talk Radio, I'm Deborah Ray. Twice the fiber and half the fat of regular talk shows. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. Other than that, what we hear coming out of the Las Vegas courtrooms these days, all the buzz is about the presidential election with much of the focus continuing to be on health care. Health care costs adversely affect American businesses, health care costs adversely affect America's bottom line, um, the widespread revelation that we don't get our money's worth, that we trail now in terms of tallest population, health at age 60, various variables relating to our quality of life, 
So to turn this around, to use a little Yankee um, know-how, a little American ingenuity, we are reveled for it in the world, and rightfully so. We turn to our resident expert in the business of healthcare to talk about how do you make Americans care about health care costs. He's Dr. Bruce Freeman who joins us today. Dr. Freeman, hello and welcome. Deborah, how are you doing today? A pleasure to be with you as always. So when we take a look at that famous mantra, Bill My Insurance. Bill My Insurance. Give us some, some history behind that. How did that come to be the mantra of the land, Dr. Freeman? They'll take care of it. Don't don't bore me with the details. I don't need to know. Just bill my insurance. Boy, it would be great if we had that for our automobiles and our boats and all our other... Uh, of course, that's not your health care, so we can't quite go there. But uh, obviously, let, let's look back in time. And the uh, I guess we can go back to the 60s, correct? That's when uh, the entitlement programs, and that's truly what they are, Well, their Well, back origins. to the 40s, to, okay, to the wage <laughs> controls and, and the fact that it was employer-driven. Your employer provided it. You didn't need to worry about it. All you needed to know was, here's my card, bill my insurance company. We don't want to date ourselves, Deborah, going back that early. We want it from real life experience. But, no, certainly uh, it, interesting uh, interesting problem. And the, I, I'm not sure if you were uh, – did you uh, see the article that was in the uh, USA Today uh, a few days ago? had a very interesting take about how to uh, possibly fix the health care, or at least one man's view, about employer-sponsored programs. And uh, unfortunately, with those employer-sponsored programs, I think the American uh, citizens, they, they're not, they don't see what they should see. They don't understand what the problem is because, as you say, just bill my insurance or it's taken care of through my employer, and they don't care. They don't want the responsibility of taking care of their own health and understanding the cost factors involved. And I think we just perpetuate that with the employer-sponsored programs. So the great example of that is um, inside Detroit, where auto workers have been told for years... <laughs> we were on the same page with that, Deborah. Go ahead. <laughs> That's it. Auto workers have been told for years, been led to believe, mm-hmm. all, I mean, no deductible, nothing out of pocket. You don't have to worry your head about any cost related to, to health care. It's all taken care of. It's your right as working for the auto industry. Of course, uh, that has come <laughs> to pass not to be and with the uh, the article out today asking uh, indicating that General Motors is asking the uh, United Auto Workers to actually take on retiree health care costs <laughs> yeah that's always been uh, and again I was I was on the same train of thought as you were that's always been one of the big sticking points in any of these big labor negotiations and certainly that's been the case here over the last several months with uh, the United Auto Workers and the health care benefits but 2030 Years ago, um, the employers could provide that, but, but times have changed. Things have changed. Healthcare certainly has gotten costly. New medications, new procedures, new diagnosis. It's, it has changed the landscape, and unfortunately, we haven't changed with it. And that's, that's the problem. It can no longer be a panacea. Everything's covered. Don't worry about it. You're taken care of for life. It just can't work that way. The, the funds aren't there, as we know. The monies aren't there. So do we need to address the fact that it really is not a cost-effective system, that it is a system that pushes prescription and pushes procedures and not often uh, uh, following the science or what's best for the patient, 
or do we deal with novel ways? Because many people have termed it, um, you know, just addressing costs, just some sort of rationing or shifting costs, never getting to the root of the problem, Dr. Freeman. Yeah, and that's exactly what this article points out, because trying to ensure every single American is not going to be the, uh, the answer. That is not the solution, because all you will be doing is shifting costs. And certainly having the, uh, the individual, the patient, the member, Call them what you want. The American citizen take more responsibility. Take any responsibility. Forget more. Take responsibility for their health care. I am positive that you will see a dramatic shift in this problem, and it will help itself. No question. Just look at the population at large out there, and 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 there's a. Imagine driving around and seeing all the uh, people on the roads with uh, tires that are half. Uh, inflated, <laughs> or, or cars that are banged up and taillights that don't work. Well, isn't that the equivalent of looking at our population today, Deborah, and seeing all these out-of-shape people? What's the difference? You tell me. So, you know, knowing that you have a background not only in, in, in medicine, uh, but also in the business of medicine, how do you uh, engage the end healthcare consumer who may or may not be, be, be paying out of pocket? It may be an employer-paid HMO in terms of just exactly what medicine does cost. Well, certainly we've talked about this uh, several times about your explanation of benefits, your EOB, the so-called letter you get in the mail after you've had your whether it's doctor visit or your prescription filled or your hospital stay, your procedure, and, and you see these numbers on the sheet and the form and they all look confusing and all, all you really care about is, okay, what do I owe or what don't I owe or how come this isn't being paid for? And I think it, it should start at the very beginning where the consumer is educated as to the true costs and how much this is affecting the economy as a whole because of what the healthcare dollars are going for. And I think if the, ed, if the consumer was educated and understood that, you would be able to control the problem because then then they wouldn't want everything under the sun. I think they'd be more realistic in their demands and their wants of the healthcare system, and I think they'd appreciate the healthcare system more, quite frankly. And uh, I've always uh, I've said this quite a few times here with you that I, I think individual insurance, port- portability of insurance, I think is the biggest thing lacking in this country. Portability. The you biggest? Sh- really? Well, I... I Personally, I think you should have you should be able to pick and choose your insurance. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not against your your employer sponsoring health care plans or helping out, but if you can keep your insurance policy and it's portable from job to job or even when you're not working, that's going to go a long way to keeping the continuity of health care sure. and it's going to keep sure. you healthy. Right. And, right. and and in my mind, there's ways to do that. I mean, what the consumer has to realize, and of course we get more political here, all right, if the health insurance care goes up, your employer, they're going to have to pay a bigger chunk of that, or they're going to have to pay more money to their insurance company. Where's those dollars coming out of, Deborah? It's, it's, believe me, it's not coming out of the employer. Let's not be naive. It's well, not coming out of the Chrysler, employer. What is it, $1,500 <laughs> of every vehicle that comes out of the Detroit automaker's um, has health care costs. Fifteen hundred dollars yeah. of every automo- automobile goes to health care costs. Yet the Japanese uh, cars have zero dollars going to the employees' health care costs. That's a big difference. Yeah. Well, so again, they ask the question: Where are those dollars coming from? They're certainly not coming from the employer. Maybe a small percentage. They're coming from you. They're coming from the employee. They're cutting back in one place to add to another. So if you gave the employee more control. 
more uh, say in the type of health insurance, what their benefits were, and made it portable. Portable health insurance, that would go a long way of keeping the cost down, no matter what goods you're trying to manufacture, whether it's cars, tractors, boats, tra- anything. And I, I just, to me, it's not, it's not a difficult concept. And um, <laughs> hopefully we'll see that come about and will arise. Now, there certainly have been some gains over the past several years about the the uh, portability of insurance, and that's what the COBRA, and I'm sure the listeners out there uh, know what COBRA is. If not, I'll briefly explain it. When you're laid off from a position or even you resign from a position or you're terminated from a position, you have the option for the next 18 months that you can keep that health insurance benefit. Now, that comes at a cost no. because it is costly. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I, it's not a panacea. I don't want to make it out to be, but at least it does give you some continuity for a certain fixed period of time. And Let's again, jump in, Betty. Hold that thought. We'll pick it up when we okay. return. Dr. Bruce Freeman joining us today. Fixing the health care dilemma. Making you and me care about health care costs. How do we do it? We invite you to join us at 800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community, but it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. I'm Deborah Ray. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, where a very special guest, Dr. Bruce Freeman, our expert in the business of healthcare, joins us today to talk about Making you and me, connecting us with the costs of health care that we enjoy in this country, an enviable, capitalistic, market-driven economy. There are no or little market-driving uh, uh, forces in health care, yet it remains um, the reason for the largest segment of bankruptcies in this country. So how do we make Americans care about health care costs? Address, if you would please, uh, Dr. Freeman, because we've seen the models, particularly of LASIK eye surgery as well as plastic surgery. Americans really get this uh, message in terms of what it costs and the quality of what they're receiving. Well, and certainly that's where the HMOs have come in and the managed health care plans because uh, you talk about market factors and capitalism and economic forces, that's where, uh, that, that's where they are. And the thing is, if you, we can get something at a competitive price and you have HMOs trying to bargain or negotiate with hospitals, outpatient surgery centers, physicians, the theory, in fact, was to lower the cost of health care. I look at it that not only are they lowering the cost of health care, but certainly they're keeping a watchful eye on you and your health as far as the uh, maintenance programs, the disease management programs, uh, health preventative programs, and we've talked about that numerous times. But So, in other words, not just the cost controls, but also the wellness, very important. And I think that's how the, the marketplace has responded, instituting things like HMOs. Deborah, if I may, can I take a minute and describe how the, the commercial insurance works for the groups like sure. the UAW? Sure, sure. Just, just for the listeners out there and they, so they understand and, and why I want to, again, tout my uh, political plank of individual coverage for all. Okay. You take a company, and depending on how many employees they have, whether it's 50, 200, 5, 800, 10,000, there are certain rules for what we call underwriting. And underwriting is taking an individual, looking at their application and saying, hey, they're healthy, they're not healthy, they have a history of heart disease, a history of diabetes, a history of asthma, history of cancer. 
So what will happen at the end of the day, and let's just take an employee group of, say, 200, make a nice round number. The insurance company, they'll be the employer will go out to the insurance companies and will take bids and say, okay, I have 200 employees, I need health insurance. And they'll give them several packages to choose from. But the problem is when you get bigger and you get larger in these companies, you can't individually underwrite the employee. You can't so what you're saying is the smoker pays the same exactly. as somebody who exercises and doesn't smoke. Exactly. So okay. you're lumping these people into one big group. Now, the theory being, if I have 500 employees, I should be able to get a better discount, a better rate, than the guy next to me who has 200 employees. Now, that may be, but the flip side of that, Deborah, is if I have 300 more employees, some of those people may be a lot sicker. So maybe I'm not really making out because ultimately, depending on what type of plan I choose with my health company, I may get penalized. So this is what drives the health care costs. It's all done by actuaries, all done by insurance pay. I mean, these guys know what they're doing out there. Let's not kid ourselves. It's like the stock market, Katie. It's like being a broker in the stock market. They know how the system works. They're not going to lose money. They're not going to intentionally lose money. So this is what drives the health care costs up. And over the last 20, 30 years, things have gotten a lot more expensive in every walk of life, not just health care. But isn't there a fatal flaw in this? Well, there is. And, and so, so here's, here's my solution. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't like that policy. I don't, I've been involved in the industry. I've seen it. I don't like it. And, and as, a, as an individual who has businesses and has run businesses, I never subscribe to that theory. I'd like to see. What I'd like to see is, all right, as the employer, you do have more clout because you're employing 300, 200, how many employees you have. You get these insurance companies out, and you offer the employee individual insurance and say, okay, Sam, you're working for me. That's great. I deal with two or three insurance companies. You can get an insurance policy from this company. You can get individual. You can get a family coverage uh, for your spouse and kids. It's up to you. Here are the plans. You contact them. You talk to them. They'll take care of you. And you're going to be responsible. But now, Sam, I know you're a valued employee. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to pay X amount of dollars toward that because that's some of the benefits I am going to supply you as one of my valued workers. Nothing wrong with that. And that way, you're helping to defray the cost of health insurance. You're helping that individual line up the policy because he may be confused. He doesn't know where to turn or she doesn't know where to turn. But you have those connections as the employer with these big insurance companies so you can help your employees get the health insurance, but it's individually controlled so that if Sam is a big smoker or is obese or overweight, as you point out, he's going to pay a lot more than Mary, who is in good shape, works out, doesn't smoke, and keeps good, takes good care of herself. So to me, there's equity in that system. And the best thing about that, Deborah, is that, God forbid, they, well, I say they're terminated, but let's say they move out of state or they leave or something happens with their employment. They can keep that insurance. It's not controlled by their job. How many times do you hear people say, i got to get this job, I hate the job, but I need the health insurance? Sure, and sure, it, I hear first, it all the time. Right, first of all, you don't want people working in your company like that. that. That's from a business perspective. Forget the medical side of it. You just don't want people working with you that aren't happy. That's crazy. Why be miserable? So... Poke some holes in that, Deborah. Tell me, am I off base? Does that not make sense? Is it well, anything I like wrong it with that? I, mean, I, I like it in principle. Mm-hmm. I, I like the connectedness 
of health savings accounts because it really gives people an incentive. If you don't lose, you know, use the money, you, you, you save it. You, you earn it by staying healthy. I think individual health care insurance is, is, is a no-brainer. Absolutely right on. It's absolutely what we need to do in this country. But we need to take it one step further because if your employer continues to pay for your health insurance, there is still little connectiveness in your mind between Absolutely. what it costs and, you know, w- when I really need it, you know, am I really going to be a partner or am I still going to be bill my insurance company on to it? And to take my theory one step further, it would... It it would bring exactly what you just discussed to the table. The individual with that policy would be much more engaged because they now would be responsible for their health care. They would see the benefits. They would see how much they're paying. They would be able to pick and choose really what type of plan they would like. So they would be involved as opposed to the employer handling it all. And I can tell you again, for instance, even in the HMO, okay, I know this, even in the HMO itself, which is in the business of insuring individuals, correct? Okay, Deborah, they have to supply insurance for their employees. They're no different. An HMO is no different than United uh, GM, Chrysler, Ford, or any other big company out there. Xerox, Microsoft, okay, they have to uh, supply, or they should supply, health insurance. So it's the same way the HMO employees, they're treated no differently. And when you just get a mega policy and put all your employees under one policy, you're losing the same connectivity with the folks that are working for the HMO. Am I making sense? So it, sure, it, sure. It's, it's not unique just to the auto workers or any other industry. It's the same in the HMO world. I would mm-hmm. subscribe to the HMOs. Do not, and I advocated that when I was involved in that business, do not just have a blanket group policy. Offer the health insurance through individual vehicles, uh, health savings accounts, as you pointed out. And but Briefly touch on that a second. And, and what that is is instead of just having a policy and paying, we'll pick a number, $200 per month, and then at the end of the year, you've now contributed $2,400 in insurance premiums, plus how much the medical cost was, if it's 80%, 20%, co-pays, this and that. With these health savings accounts, it's kind of like a medical 401K. And as you pointed out, Deborah, if you don't use the health care or if you stay healthy and take good care of yourself, you won't have to spend all that $2,400. And I don't want to get too technical, but some of that would come back. It's in an account almost like a 401K, if you will. So there is big advantage there to, number one, keep yourself healthy. And number two, you're controlling your costs. You're involved in what is going on. And uh, I I predict, because I think you do too, those certainly will uh, be more popular over the next several years. Uh, But address, if you would, please, Dr. Freeman, I mean, is there a move afoot? Is there the realization? I'm sure there are, because these uh, actuaries uh, um, uh, are very accurate. That, for example, a smoker who has um, already or maybe a family history of uh, diabetes and heart disease, already overweight, uh, you know, any number of risk factors, you know, where's the move that that person is going to cost the insurance company more so um, uh, they're going to have higher premiums based upon their lifestyle choices? Well, the, the move is there in the uh, insurance company or the HMO when they're distributing the individual commercial policy mm-hmm. because... Deborah, these things, the way this works, every person, these insurance companies will go to the actuary and they'll have a yearly rate schedule from the time you're 18 to 65. They know exactly how much to charge and what it's going to cost based on their actuarial numbers. So that's the flat rate. Now, 
If you go to insure somebody, say, who's 42, pick out a 42-year-old male. Okay, here's your baseline cost of what it's going to be, X amount of dollars. Now, what the procedure would be, you'll fill out that application. Okay, it'll be a six, seven-page application. Um, you'll answer all kinds of questions about your past medical history, your current medical history, medications, smoking, uh, a fairly lengthy uh, application. Then once the insurance company reviews that, and hopefully you aren't lying on that application, Deborah, because that people tend to fib a bit when it comes to their medical health. But anyhow, the insurance company looks at that, and then they'll see certain risk factors, such as, okay, maybe you smoke, or maybe you're obese, or maybe you've had a history of peptic ulcer disease. Maybe you have a history of arthritis. And then the uh, insurance company will factor in certain dollars to cover their risks. But but we're not talking exorbitant amount of dollars. We're talking about something, yeah, it'll cost you more than the baseline policy, but certainly a good, not a bad deal. Again, I guess depending on your point of view, but it's going to be a lot more cost effective than getting lumped into a group with 300 of your peers, 50% which are going to be overweight, the other 50% are going to smoke and not care, and you're penalized. And that's not right. That's unfair. You can't take control of your own medical mm-hmm. situation if you're lumped in with all these folks <laughs> it's just it's very frustrating and again I, I always use this analogy on your show with the auto the automobile insurance industry is what I turn to to look at as the model when you're buying your policy and there's there's several vendors out there right I mean we can name 10 or 15 right off the top of our head well, we won't because we don't want to give any uh, plugs for them and we're impartial to automobile carriers but I'm not penalized because you go out and had three accidents last week, Deborah. That's your problem. I can get my own policy based on my driving record, my family's driving record, and I can have a decent premium. And and that's the way it should work. What is so difficult about that? Tell me. (laughs) Of course, we're not... No one's going to listen to us, unfortunately. But but, but obviously, what's the, the problem? I mean, there are models: the LASIK model, mm-hmm. the, the plastic surgery model. That just this week, the Boston Globe revealed that 50% of Massachusetts hospitals have said, "No, we're not going to charge patients for wrong site surgery." For hospital-acquired infection, mm-hmm. for preventable medical errors, because you know, back to your car. Right. You know, you go in. Somebody says, "Oh, sorry, you know, uh, uh, this happened, and uh, now you've got another $500 bill because right. we were fixing this and we broke that." Wouldn't fly <laughs> in any other aspect of, of consumer-driven economy. Yet it's what happens on those hospital bills, and ultimately, the, those costs get shifted. The premiums go up. You know, maybe one reason is because there's such an integration of the whole medical health care system, and you have to have all the moving parts be on the same page to affect a radical change like that. Does that does that make sense? Whereas you can you can isolate this one segment, and say okay, we can do it with the LASIK, it makes sense. But when you're treating the individual and there's other multiple problems, you, to me, you have to have everyone on board buying into this for the system to work. Well, it's just I mean, like the, the Hillary health care plan coming out again with employer-driven health care yeah. because her premise was, and she's right on, people like the status quo. My premise is is that if we're ever going to affect real change in the health care system, you know, I subscribe to the Newt Gingrich, um, uh, you know, save your life, save your uh, money um, model that he presented in the book of that name, that we're really going to have to use some, some American ingenuity, really shake it up and look at it in a completely different fashion, Dr. Uh, absolutely. 
one of the annoying things is coming out of the HMO and the uh, insurance environment. You know, people still sit back and think that they're they're making all the money, they're rolling in dough, and uh, the consumer's getting the shaft. And that really isn't the case. That really isn't. There's a lot of overhead in administration, which certainly could be cut out, no question. But th- the problem is, is because people don't take care of their health situations, it is very costly. And, and if the employer, believe me, he's not jacking up the price just so he can pay you less wages. That makes no sense for him. So obviously that's not happening. So if they looked at it and said, okay, let's change the way we're doing it. Let's shake it up, as you just alluded to. That has to happen because the employer-sponsored it, that is not going to work. That is a recipe for disaster. It's only going to get worse. It, that, that's going to make the problem worse. And, and talk about the uninsured briefly, if we could, and how many all these estimates and they're throwing around numbers of this, mm-hmm. that, and the next thing. You know, people would be amazed at how much government assistance is out there that 50, people, yeah, that people 50, don't even take advantage of. Fifty percent of all health care dollars paid in this country come from government sources. It's staggering. Hold that thought. We're going to pick okay. it up when we return. Dr. Bruce Freeman joining us today, making you and me care about health care costs. We invite you to go to the phone, pick it up, give us a call, 800-307-3002, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Consolidate your health care information and get everything you need from one source. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. Dr. Bruce Freeman joins us today. We're talking about fix health care by making Americans care about costs. So how do we affect that change? Uh, knowing there's been some very visible examples um, of uh, of LASIK, of course, is, is a great example how market-driven healthcare worked and worked quite well, not only in terms of cost competition, but also in terms of quality, Dr. Freeman. Yeah, certainly when you bring the cost factors into it and get the market uh, forces working, quality should improve. It, it would go hand-in-hand. It would make sense that uh, when you do that, sure, let, let's get those... Of course, again, what I pointed out, you need the whole system working in tandem, Deborah. I mean, it's nice to examine that and say, yeah, it worked with the LASIK, but that's we're carving out a piece. As we say in the HMO industry, we're, we're doing carve-outs. It'd be nice to get the whole system working together. One point I want to just follow up on before our break um, is that you got to take, and we've, talked, we've hammered on this how many times, people have to take responsibility. Being in the industry, I, a lot of these things, you can numbers can lie, and obviously people can do anything they want with them. But I can tell you firsthand, over 25% of people are uninsured through the government programs, Deborah, because they choose to be. They let their coverage lapse. They don't renew. It's not that they lose the eligibility. They just don't care. Maybe one out of every four members every month will roll off the uh, ledgers for whether it's health insurance or HMOs, this is through government-sponsored programs. Because of failure to, again, reinstate their benefit or to maintain their benefits, uh, explain to me, how, how do you solve that problem? <laughs> if people don't even care and they're eligible, and then they get lumped into the ranks of the uninsured. Well, come on, whose fault is that? But this is the type of people you're dealing with, that people want rights, but they don't want any responsibility. That's crazy, isn't it? 
See, I, that's where I, I, I tend to agree with you with you know tying it yes. to the individual yeah. that we have to have you know basic liability to put our cars on the road. <laughs> I think we need some some basic liability I, coverage um, and, and make it mandatory in terms of health care. That statistic alone is boggling because the HMO spend money and administrative costs just trying to track down the individuals who are quote eligible for assistance through one reason or another, but they don't even care. <laughs> that, that's frustrating enough. So it, it, it certainly is a problem, um, but I think individual employer-sponsored uh, health commercial portability, again, the rep portability, very important. If you can have the consumer, the family, the individual, the breadwinner, keep that insurance no matter where they're going, boy, that's, uh, to me, that would be a big boon for the medical industry. We, we've got to get these planks across to the presidential candidates, Deborah. What do you say? Hey. Get them on. Let's talk they to them. Are you ready? Plans. <laughs> thanks to Dr. It. Bruce Freeman. Our thanks uh, to you. In thank case you, you missed much. anything, HealthyTalkRadio.com. We actually archive the show there for two weeks. We post the day's healthcare news. So if you heard a little news segment and wanted to read further, all you have to do is go to HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy.